0: As we said this morning, Jesus is referred to by this title of Lord close to 650 times in the New Testament. He's called the Lord Jesus 115 times um, by by the Apostle Paul 96 times. Now it, it's a it's a modern thing. It started in probably the 1960s. Really gained momentum until today. It's very very popular. Very common. To hear people refer to the Lord as Jesus. And His name is Jesus. There's no, that, we're not denying that, we're not arguing that. But if you read the four Gospels, they are the narrative account of the, of the man, Jesus, who walked this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. When you turn to the epistles written to the church to teach us our doctrine and to govern our lives. When you turn to the book of Acts and read what the apostles preached and taught and how they communicated one to another, only only 17 times in the letters of Paul do we have Jesus, the name Jesus, by itself. And never is he addressed that way by Christians. In the same way that you wouldn't call if you, if you if you met the president you would not disrespect him by saying hi barack you wouldn't do that if you if you are uh, sitting in your living room and you are a child you wouldn't call your father by his first name you wouldn't you wouldn't address him that way you would say mr president or you would say father you would say dad and so uh, jesus it, that's his name but he's referred to as Lord one hundred and forty-four times in the Pauline epistles. He's referred to as the Lord Jesus ninety-six times, and the name, as we said, the name Jesus appears but less than twenty times, and that's in reference to his humanity. He's never addressed that way. He's never preached that way. And so uh, the 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 uh, Philip joined himself to Ethiopia and the Bible says he preached unto him Jesus, but when he got down to giving him the gospel he he wanted to know do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of god and so we don't want to we don't want to split hairs but we want to be biblical we want to be doctrinal and to to address the lord of glory by his first name or the name of his humanity seems scripturally be to be far too familiar and far too careless. I, I know He's... Listen, I'm saved. He's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. He's my Father. He calls Me, calls Himself our friend. But uh, I, I just... It, it, I think we'd do well to reverence Him and speak of Him and speak to Him as the Scripture does. Amen. And the Scripture refers to Him as the Lord. Now, what what pertains to the Lord? I tried to, this list, I think it's complete. I could have missed some or I could repeat some here as we go through the list. But in the New Testament we read of the way of the Lord, the name of the Lord, the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the sight of the Lord, the handmaid of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the face of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord, The power of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the body of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, the great and notable day of the Lord, the name of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the resurrection of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the disciples of the Lord. Now there's no other man to compare to Jesus Christ, none whatsoever. The fear of the Lord... The hand of the Lord, the right ways of the Lord, the doctrine of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, the will of the Lord, the mind of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the things of the Lord, the brethren of the Lord, the cup of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the work of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the dying of the Lord. Why you could preach for six months on the things pertaining to Jesus Christ as The Lord. Again, the dying of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, the sight of the Lord, visions and revelations of the Lord, marks of the Lord, the prisoner of the Lord, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, followers of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, beloved of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord, the sight of the Lord, the ears of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the end of the Lord, and the knowledge of the Lord. I would say, I would say, nobody but God could have all of that ascribed to Him. You couldn't, you couldn't say, uh, just go down through that list. We might have eyes and hands and sight and presence, but uh, you start trying to put anybody's name in there, you put all of those attributes and then put of. And then put your name behind it, or any man's name behind it, any woman's name behind it, it's gonna break down pretty quickly. But Jesus Christ truly is the Lord. Now, He's the Lord of this we find in the New Testament. He is the Lord of the harvest, Matthew nine, thirty-eight. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, Matthew eleven twenty-five. He's the Lord of the Vineyard, Matthew twenty verse eight. He's the Lord of all, acts 1036. He's the Lord of Sabaoth, Romans 929. He's the Lord of glory, first Corinthians 2:8. He's the Lord of peace, second Thessalonians 3:16. He's the Lord of Lords, 1 Timothy chapter six and verse 15. That's what we'll look at tonight. He is Lord of, and let's look at some of these things over which or of which Jesus Christ is the Lord. First of all, let's go to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew 9, and we'll read starting at, oh, let's see, verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Then, continuing on, chapter 10, And when he had called on him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. And he gives their, their names and then instructs them down in verse number 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles and into any city of Samaritans, any ye you not? But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, they're, they're not to take the message of the kingdom of heaven to anybody but Israelites. If you read the cross-references in Mark and in Luke and in John, they were not restricted in the preaching of the kingdom of God. They were take that to everybody, but the kingdom of heaven, just a Jewish matter. But notice, He is the Lord of the harvest. There are, according to verse number 37, there is a plenteous harvest. There are many, 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 of these sheep wandering about, or these people wandering about as lost sheep. And the trouble is, there are more lost sheep out there than there are people to gather them in. There are more fields to be harvested than there are laborers to work in the harvest field. Interestingly, he didn't say, so try to rally people to go get sheep or try and talk people into going out and harvesting. He said, no, go to the Lord of the harvest in prayer, and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And the reason for that is, is well, I started to say it's simple, but the reason for that is significant. First of all, The Lord of the harvest knows more about the need of the hour and the qualifications for service than I do, than you do. And it it could be that we could get all these people to say, "I'll go out there and I'll do the work and I'll labor in the vineyard," but they may end up just trampling down the vines and doing uh, doing a great deal of damage and a great deal of harm. Or it may be it may be that while we're so busy sending people out into the harvest because we think they're fit or we think they're qualified or we're pushing out there because because we we know somebody needs to go, that we're urging others. To get into the work. Because we're not busy in the work ourselves. Could be. But I know this. I'm certain of this. You could not. You could not. Go to the Lord in prayer. On a consistent basis. You could not go to the Lord in prayer sincerely. And speak to Him of the great need for laborers. And of the great harvest that is waiting, and of the great uh, desire for souls to be saved and brought to Jesus Christ, you couldn't pray that way for very long without recognizing yourself called to labor in that harvest field. Now, I could tell you, you need to go out and witness the lost people and get no burden for them whatsoever. I can tell you that the fields are white unto harvest and somebody needs to go and not be the least concerned about all those people dying in their sins and, and stepping out into eternity without Jesus Christ. But if you began to pray for God, Oh Lord, you've got to send people. Oh Lord, there's such a great need. Oh Lord, those people are dying in their sins. Oh Lord, somebody's got to go and tell them. How long could you pray that way before He assigned you a place in that harvest field? And so there are places where he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But there are also places where he said, you know, why don't you pray to the Lord and see who He might send? Why don't you pray to the Lord and and tell Him what a great need there is for workers in the field and watch and see what just might happen in your life. And and I'd say this, if the Lord sent you into the harvest, you're liable to stay there longer than if I send you into the harvest. If you go because... Prayer to God for lost souls created in you a burden to reach lost souls. That's probably going to have a greater impact on your life than any sermon a preacher could preach in a, in a meeting on evangelism. Now, look at John chapter number four. So he is the Lord of the harvest. He he oversees it. Uh, John cha- chapter number four. And the Bible says here in verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Obviously, he's looking at a different field than physical uh, crops of grain and, and so forth. He's looking at souls. There is a set time to harvest grain. There is a set time to harvest fruits and vegetables, but there's no set time to harvest souls. He said, anytime you look, you'll see souls out there waiting to be harvested. And the Bible says in verse number 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Okay, this is not a passage where Jesus is called the Lord of the harvest, but this is a passage that helps us understand Jesus as the Lord of the harvest. Now, let, let's let's just take it in the physical sense. Boaz, back in book of Ruth, Boaz is the Lord. The fields all belong to him. And he assigns workers to work in his field. He tells them what part of the field to work in. He tells them how to treat the fellow workers, how to treat Ruth, the stranger that's come into the field. At the end of the day, the grain belongs to him. At the end of the day, he determines the wages and who gets paid and who gets to come back to work the next day. Look, he is the Lord of the harvest. It is enough for those workers to have a place of employment. How much better to have a place of employment where the Lord of the harvest or the the owner of those fields is a gracious man and a kind man and a merciful man as Boaz was. Now, let's, let's apply that to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing just to be able to serve Him. But if He is the Lord of the harvest, He appoints our place of service. He appoints the extent of our service. He's the one that determines our wages. We sing that song, bringing in the sheaves. He's the one that lets one man labor in in a fruitful field and another man toil away in what seems to be a barren field. One plows and one waters and God gives the increase. It's His harvest field. And so if He's the Lord of the harvest, we should not be competing for one another over who's the greatest soul winner or or who has the, the largest amount of grain to stack into the barn at the end of the day or who's going to get the greatest wage and the greatest reward. He's the Lord of the harvest. He might send you to a town like this one where you spend decades plowing fallow ground and reap very little in return. He might send you to a place like the Sarahs are laboring where in 20 years 300 and some churches are started through, through just, it seemed like the seed falls on the ground and up pops a, a fruitful harvest. That's not our concern. None of us is the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Now, if he says, the fields are white unto harvest, mine doesn't have to be, but some fields are. The row I'm plowing doesn't have to be, but he's not a liar. The fields, his fields, are white unto harvest. There might be a dozen saved in Atlanta today, and a thousand saved in Beijing. That's the Lord's business. There might be 500 saved in Los Angeles today, and only 10 saved in in Korea. That's the Lord's business. But all of us are to yield ourselves to the Lord of the harvest, to sow seed, and to labor in the field, and to rejoice that Praise God, we get to work for such a wonderful employer. Now, what will the reward be? What will the payment be at the end of the day? I don't know, but it'll be fair. Fair according to the Lord of the harvest. You remember reading the Gospels? Some men went to work first thing in the morning and labored 12 hours in the field and got a penny. You know why? That's what the Lord agreed to pay them. Another man didn't go to work until five in the afternoon and clocked out at six that afternoon, and he got a penny. You know why? That's what the Lord agreed to pay him. They both got a day's wage. Well, one man did more work than the other. Well, that's all right. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's not communist. He's not a socialist. It's his field. He can give out what he wants. So I'm going to complain to the labor board. There's no labor board. He's the Lord of the harvest. If you get to heaven and you've got a giant mansion on a gold street or you've got that cabin just over the hilltop that everybody's sung about but nobody's seen yet, whatever you get will be fair. If you get five crowns or none, if you rule over ten cities or one, it will be fair. He's the Lord of the harvest. I don't mind laboring for him. I'm going to say this and, and I mean this. I want to earn reward though I don't understand it, because the Bible says it's something to strive for. It must be really great, or the Lord wouldn't say try to get one. I want to get crowns, because the Bible says you really want a crown. I want to get rule over cities, because the Bible says it's a great reward, though personally I'd kind of like to not have to be in charge of anything for at least the first few years of the millennium. <laughs> So Lord, if I don't really serve you, you'll just like sit me on St. Lucia or something with nothing to do? (laughs) So it can't can't be that. So here's what I'm going to say. I don't understand the benefit of rewards in eternity or the value of rewards in eternity, but I, I will say this. If I get none... I do not regret having lived my life serving in the Lord's harvest field. It has been a better life than the life of those I'm witnessing to. Now, look, if if you're if you're 22 and you just got saved, or you're 25, 26 and you're starting out or if you're one of our teenagers and you went on the bus today cuz you know it was fun and your friends were there and it's the only place you're allowed to go, that's I <laughs> I understand your perspective is different. But I'm looking back on this thing. And and the last 40 years of my life, I could have done something different. And I am witnessing day by day to people who did something different. And the life that I have lived has proven to be preferable to the life that they have lived It's better serving this Lord in his field if all I ever get to do is serve him than having toiled in the devil's vineyards, in the devil's fields for such a cruel taskmaster. I see what he gives his servants. It's not so hot. So thank the Lord. All right, one more under this heading, Revelation 14. Revelation 14, he's the Lord of the harvest. Revelation 14, and verse number 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. We know who that is. Having on his head a golden crown, and his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice unto him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Now he's the Lord of the harvest. And this is a curious thing. We go out and we sow the seed. And then the seed, depending upon the type of ground it falls upon, springs up one, one way or another. And then he sends laborers out to reap the good grain from his field. Been doing that generation after generation after generation. And they come back, the workers come back, so well, there's there's tares out there, you want us to cut them down too? He said, no, you leave them alone. We're not going on crusades and kill Muslims. We're not going to take up weapons and, and wage war against Hindus. You 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 harvest the good grain that will bow before the harvester. And you bring that in my barn. And then when time has run its course, I, because I'm Lord of the harvest, I'll go out and cut down those tares. I'll go out and and harvest the rest of those fields. And when I do, I'll bind them in bundles and gather them into barns to be burned. Because I'm the Lord of the harvest. Now look, we don't save souls. We labor in the Lord's fields. And we don't condemn or damn souls. We labor in the Lord's harvest fields. We don't call salvation down from heaven and give it to anybody. And we don't call fire down from heaven and burn anybody up. We plow, we water, we sow, we harvest, but the field belongs to the Lord. Life and death are in His hands. Heaven and hell are in His hands. Eternity is in His hands. So, so let's, let's rejoice in the fact that we get to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But let's not try to take over the operation. See? You can't make somebody get saved. But if they don't get saved, it's not up to you to pronounce judgment upon them. Because they, the Lord might send another harvester and another laborer and, and, and it might be time that they might get saved later down the road. So, so we leave that to him because he's the Lord of the harvest. Alright, Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2. He is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. There are ten commandments. We've mentioned this this morning. Of those Ten Commandments, nine are New Testament commandments given to the New Testament church. The Ten Commandments given to Israel, nine of them are repeated as instructions for the New Testament church. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But the epistles written to people under grace say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, uh, not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet covetousness, which is idolatry. But there's one that's not a New Testament doctrine for the Christian church, and that's Sabbath keeping. New Testament church doesn't keep the Sabbath. They met on the first day of the week, but they also met every day. Broke bread, preached the gospel, prayed together, studied the word. Every day is the Lord's day. Now we we assemble together on the first day of the week. That's when the New Testament church assembled together, and I would I would do my best to to not let anything interfere with that and keep that day uh, as as it ought to be. But my my crops aren't going to wither and die, and my livestock's not going to die, and my children aren't going to be diseased if I don't keep the Old Testament Sabbath. Now, there, it's an odd thing. There, In every town, there is something that's called a church that keeps the Sabbath, which is really odd because the two scripturally are, are exclusive, one or the other. But when they say we're Sabbath keepers, they're not. And it has nothing to do with the day of the week they meet on. The law of the Sabbath said that if somebody broke the Sabbath, you were to put them to death. And I don't know any Seventh-day Adventist church in America that kills people at Skip Church and mow their lawn on Saturday. <laughs> well, that's the law of the sa- Anyway, when Jesus came as King of the Jews, when He's born of a woman made under the law, and He's ministering to and in the midst of this nation of Israel where they'd really kind of ignored every commandment except one, and that was Sabbath keeping. And that Sabbath day meant more to them than anything because it was well, it was the one observable standard that you could obey to kind of present yourself as being righteous, even if you were like the scribes and the Pharisees and there was nothing righteous about you, you could say, but I keep the Sabbath. And so in Mark chapter 2, the Bible says in verse number 27 And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he proceeded to heal people on the Sabbath day, and work miracles on the Sabbath day, and have men carry burdens like (laughs) take your bed home, and, and take your crutches home, and go show people what I've done for you. And he said, You know what? I am the one who invented the Sabbath. That was me. When 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 God's finger wrote on the tables of stone, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, that was me. I did that. So, don't you tell me how to observe the Sabbath. I will tell you how to observe the Sabbath. I am superior. This is what Jesus said. I am superior... To the religion that I established. I mean, who's greater? God or the temple in which God is worshipped? God or the day on which men worship God? It's God. God's greater. Now, I'm going to say this real carefully. See this Bible? I believe every word of it. I believe it's perfect. I believe it's the Word of God. I believe that. You believe that? When you get to heaven, this book will not be sitting on the throne. God will be sitting on the throne. This book wasn't nailed to the cross for you. Jesus was nailed to the cross for you. This book didn't rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. So, you got to be careful that you don't make the Bible your God. Just like the Jews made the Sabbath their God. I'm, trying, I'm Listen, I want you to read the Bible. But if you read the Bible and don't pray, you've got a relationship with a book, but you don't have a relationship with the author of the book. If you study the book, but you don't do what the book says, you have an intellectual relationship with the manuscript but you don't have a, an active working relationship with the author of the manuscript. And so when Jesus came, He said, look, you guys got all these rules and regulations for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was supposed to be the day when you fellowship with Me. And I'm right here and I'm not seeing any fellowship with the Lord. I'm seeing people bound by their, by their strict adherence to a commandment. But the, pur- the purpose of the seventh day of rest was so you could worship me. And here this man just got healed, and he's praising and worshiping the Lord, and you guys are wanting to kill me? Think about that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's right, we're going to keep that commandment, and we're going to kill you. Well, isn't that one of the commandments? Thou shalt not kill... But they, they couldn't see that. They probably, they probably had a Facebook page where they just said all kinds of horrible stuff about Jesus because he, he, he didn't, and, and they couldn't even see the hypocrisy of it. So he's the Lord of the Sabbath. We meet on the first day of the week. We meet in churches. And we study the Bible. And we, but he should be the Lord of all that. We shouldn't just be going to church. We should be going to church to worship the Lord and learn of the Lord and serve the Lord. So and that's that's what happened. They, they, had, they had the Sabbath, but they didn't have the Lord of the Sabbath. All right, Romans 14. Romans 14, he's the Lord of the harvest, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Romans 14. And verse number 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. Verse number t- 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Okay. You might find it out in this lifetime, and I hope you do. I hope you have. You might act upon it in this lifetime. I hope you do. I hope you have. Jesus Christ is Lord. You might not find it out until after you die. But eventually, everyone will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Eventually, everyone will acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, He's the Lord. He's not the Lord of believers, and and unbelievers have some other Lord. No, he's, he's the Lord. If you're alive or you're dead, doesn't matter, He's the Lord. And so, sometimes people, and I think a couple of people asked this morning, after service said, well, don't you mean Jesus Christ is our Lord, but... He's not their Lord, speaking to the unbelievers. Oh, no, He's their Lord. They just haven't acknowledged that yet. And they will do that in this life and be saved, or they will do that in the next life and not be saved. But He is the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, Now, think about this. The Bible doesn't say, Believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. To a lost person, the Bible says, "...believe on the Lord, Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." Meaning, before you were saved, He's your Lord. And everybody you know that's not saved yet, He's their Lord. And everybody who died lost and stepped out into a Christless eternity, He is their Lord. And at His feet, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So he's the Lord of the living and of the dead. I'm okay with that. All right. What else? He's the Lord of lords. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. So there's only well, there's only one Lord. Well, no, at the, at the moment there there are Many lords to whom people bow and to whom people give honor. See, Lord is a title of authority. It's a title of do- dominion. It's a title of power. You're, you live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Woo-hoo! You have so many lords, you couldn't count them all. Code enforcement is your Lord. Housing department's your Lord. Tax assessor is your Lord. Tax assessor is your Lord. Building department is your Lord. Highway patrol is your Lord. Local police is your Lord. I mean, how long a list do you want? If You're married. Well, you know, all, all these things. Every one of us have multiple layers of people or groups who exercise dominion over us in some way or another. So when the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 15, which in in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King, capital K, of Kings, small k, and Lord, capital L, of Lords, small l, who only hath immortality. So... There are many kings, but Jesus has dominion over them all. And there are many lords, small l, but Jesus, capital L, has dominion over them all. Now, if that is true, then as the Scripture says, we ought to obey God rather than men. And in those extremely rare cases, where you have to choose between obeying God and obeying man. And there aren't many. In 66 books of the Bible, there's only maybe three. Well, I, can, you know, I can do whatever I want. I'm, a, I'm saved and I've only got one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. No, you got many lords. But He's the Lord of lords. Now, there was a government order to kill babies. In the book of Exodus. And God blessed those that disobeyed that government ordinance. There was a government ordinance that you bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And God blessed the men who violated that government ordinance. And there was a government ordinance in the book of Acts that you not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord blessed the men who disobeyed that ordinance. And that's it. Now, if, if you are ever told by a Lord, small l, to violate the clear teaching of the Lord, capital L, you are told to keep in mind He is the Lord of Lords. Now, let's apply this another way as Ephesians does and Colossians does and, and other places do. If you're a parent, you have lordship. In the, by, by definition. If you're a husband... You have a measure of lordship, perhaps pretended or or realized, but but scripturally, okay. If you're an employer, if you're an officer with men under you, okay. There 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 are many people sitting here tonight who are in some position of authority over others. You know what the scripture instructs you in Ephesians six and Colossians and elsewhere. You better remember, you're not the supreme Lord. And you should exercise your authority toward those underneath you as Jesus exercises His authority toward you. Okay, He's the Lord of lords. He has dominion over all who have dominion. And we should serve as His representatives in our places of leadership. Okay, Acts 10. Acts chapter 10, we've been having those short, concise, little um, sermons on Sunday morning, all on one topic, and so we might make up for some of that this evening. Cover a lot of ground here. There's 650 references to Jesus as Lord in the New Testament. We've only hit on a dozen or so, so far. That's why Janet brought her pillow. Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him, worth righteousness accepted with him, the word which God sent on the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now look, verse 35, every nation. Verse 36, he is Lord of all. So, We are not, as Christians, we are not multicultural, coexisting people who deny the truth of the Word of God to gain the acceptance of people who don't believe the truth of the Word of God. We will treat all men and women of all religions and of all faiths with kindness and dignity and respect and grace and mercy, and we will as politely as possible tell them if they don't repent of their false religion and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will lose their soul because whether they are Orientals or whether they are Africans or whether they are Americans or Europeans or whatever they might consider themselves to be, He is Lord of all. One Lord for the man born Hindu, one Lord for the man born Buddhist, one Lord for the man born animist, one Lord for the man born Taoist or Shinto or or whatever religion you're born into, you've got to abandon your faith and trust in your little L Lords and put your faith and trust in the capital L Lord, Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And verse 25. Matthew 11, 25. Uh, at that time, Jesus answered said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So, the Father is exercising lordship over heaven and earth as Jesus in his humanity walks this earth. Okay? But when Jesus rises from the dead, he is said to be, and we read it first Timothy six, Acts chapter ten, Lord of all. So for thirty three and one half years he humbled himself, became man, became obedient unto death, and having done that, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Okay? And then under this heading, one more verse, Revelation nineteen. So what about all the people that don't believe that? What about all the people that don't agree with that? Revelation nineteen, verse eleven. Revelation nineteen eleven, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. You say you really believe that? That's that's literal. Yeah, you mean the part about him being righteous? Absolutely. You mean the part about him being, uh, making war and judgment? Sure. You mean the part about him being faithful and true? Absolutely. So, uh, Oh, you mean the white horse part? A horse couldn't live in heaven. Well, you think you're going to live in heaven? If you can live there, why can't Mr. Ed live there? Or, or, I'm not saying that's the name of the... White horse. I'm just wish those things wouldn't even come into your mind, but they, but they do. Now, now look, it's it, it's a strange thing. People say, well, I just believe I'm going Lord's going to take me. I'm going to go, go to heaven when I die and be with the Lord. Well, that's great. But if if He can equip you and fit you to live in that supernatural world, when you're an earth creature, you don't think He could could have a horse up there? Many horses, many horses he wanted. He got everything he wants to up there. There weren't any on the earth till he made them. Why, how come he can make them here and he can't make them up there? People are funny. Well, you think that's, what do you think that horse, what do you think that represents? It represents a horse. That's what I think it represents. If it was a helicopter, he would have said helicopter. I said, well, who for all that time would have known what it meant? Well, there's stuff in the Bible you don't know what it means. Verse 12, his eyes was a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. He was clothed with a dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. There we go. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the, and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. How about that? Now, if you don't like him being Lord, it doesn't matter. He is the Lord. And if the people of this earth don't want to recognize His Lordship, He will put them in a place where they don't have to. They'll be so busy begging for one drop of water that they won't even be concerned with the events on earth. But here's what's interesting. Revelation 1 said it. Revelation 5 said it. We've read it in recent weeks. Not only has He redeemed us, washed us in His blood, but He's made us kings and priests unto God. Correct? And we shall reign with him. Revelation 5. Also says, uh, oh, you were faithful over, well, have rule over ten cities. You were faithful? Oh, have rule over five cities. Did a little something? Great. Have rule over one city. So, in the millennial kingdom, many of us, members of the body of Christ, or many of you, will have places of authority and of rule in his kingdom. So, There will be other kings on this earth, but he'll still be the king of kings. And there will be other lords on this earth, but he will still be the Lord of lords. So it it, there will never come a time, no matter how greatly you are rewarded, when you are equal to Jesus Christ. You're never going to get to populate your own planet and be the Lord. You might be a Lord, you might be a King, but there is only one who is Lord of Lords, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. He is Lord of the harvest, Lord of Sabbath, Lord of the living and the dead, Lord of Lords, but I like this. Well, I like them all, but I really like this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, let, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, Messiah, Savior, Forgiver, Redeemer. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Luke 2, 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I don't know what kind of parents you had. I don't know what kind of employers you've had. I don't know what kind of commanding officers you've had. I was thinking this week, it's, it's really a blessing that I was out of town when some of our men addressed the city commission meeting because I just have this gift for throwing gasoline on whatever fire might be burning. That's just the gift that I had. But this, this, this man stood before the city council and read this bizarre interpretation of the U.S. Constitution that it guarantees him happiness, an inalienable right to happiness. I wonder what he was thinking when his government sent him to Vietnam. You talk about happiness. What, What could be any happier than a tour of duty in Vietnam? I'm not even sure that was a place where you could pursue happiness. But anyway. I don't know what kind of employers you've had. I don't know what kind of commanding officers you've had. I don't know what kind of government you've lived under. You think about the governing uh, uh, dictators and, and rulers and so forth of, of some of the people that live on this earth to this t- today. Dreadful. But to think that someone with absolute lordship over my life, absolute power, To do whatever he wished or desired to do to me. And then watching that absolute Lord who is so righteous. For him to watch me sin and sin again and sin again and sin again. With the power and the right to execute me at any time for any of those offenses. To think that that Lord would desire most of all to be my Savior is really incredible. Because the best of parents have been provoked at one time or another by the disobedience of their subjects. Is that not fair? The best of employers have at one time or another at least whispered under their breath, If I could get away with it, I'd... And no matter what position of lordship you've ever held, those beneath you have no doubt caused you to think, What I would do to that guy if I could get away with it. And here the Lord of glory in all of His righteousness and all of His holiness watches our sin and our transgression and our disobedience and our blasphemy and says, if I could get my hands on that guy, I would save him. I would cleanse him. I would purify him. I would make him without spot, without blemish. I would give him everlasting life. What a heart! That He would be both Lord and Savior is really, really praiseworthy. Acts chapter 2 says it this way. I want to look there again. We read it. Let's go back there just just for a minute. Acts chapter 2, that the Lord would be the Savior... And look at our example. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, now watch this, that that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified. I mean, let that sink in. The first people he offers salvation to are the people who crucified him. Who would do that? Is that, that's beyond my comprehension. This is Acts chapter 2. This is the first offer of salvation. And that offer is being made to the people who stood in that city and said, Barabbas, what shall I do with Jesus? Crucify him. What evil hath he done? Away with this man! Crucify him! And the first people the Lord offers to save are those people. You talk about grace. You talk about mercy. Now, if the Lord would be their Savior... I have no problem believing the Lord would be your Savior. The Lord would be my Savior. He is our Lord and Savior. And then to finish up, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a rare man that can have dominion and use it properly. Look at how many men are are abusive toward their children because they can be. Look at how many how many men are abusive toward their wives because they can be. Look at how many employers mistreat their employees because they can. Look at how many how many uh, authority figures take advantage of the poor and the and the weak because they can. Look what happens when you take some punk and turn him into a rock star. Look what he does with his life. Look what happens when you take some woman and make her a movie star. Look look at what she does with her her fame and her wealth and her her power. But to think that one could be all-powerful and (laughs) all-pure... is really more than we can grasp. To think that he could be the Lord of lords and still be the Lord of glory. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what the Bible says? You find a really, really good, the best young man you've got, and you put him in the ministry too soon, Satan will get an advantage over him because he's a novice. Great kid! But you give him a little authority and he becomes a monster. Isn't that something? Here's a guy, great guy. Here's a girl, great girl. They're dating. They get married. And all of a sudden, they start fighting over who's going to be in charge. And as soon as one of them gets in charge, it's all abuse and scorn. And and here's somebody... If you didn't like his authority, what could you do about it, Lucifer? If you didn't like his dominion, what could you do about it, principalities and powers? Nothing. And yet, this one with all power has never been corrupt, he has never been indecent, he has never taken advantage, but he has always done for the inferior. That which was best. It's an incredible thing. To be the Lord and yet be the Lord of glory shows the purity and the holiness of Jesus Christ. Who could be trusted with dominion that hasn't in some way been corrupted by it? Only one. Jesus Christ. He's Lord And he has never, never, never come short of the glory of God. That's why we worship him, adore him, preach him, trust him. He's high above all lords, all kings, all men, all women. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Jesus Christ whom it reveals to our hearts. Father, we. We really can't grasp the things that we've read tonight. We really can't take in the depth of their meaning. But Lord, we can leave here this evening with our hearts filled with wonder at the greatness of the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you'd help us to keep our hearts and our minds stayed upon these things. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.